My name is Dr. Justin Alger, and this is the Future Future College Parent Podcast. The money is out there, but it's not just about finding the money. It's it's creating who you are as a student, as a teenager, as a high school student, creating that scenario, that that uh, that persona that colleges are looking for. Hello, future college parents, moms, dads, and any family member who's helping a student get to college. Welcome to the Future College Parent Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to arming parents like you, our original influencers, with free information and resources to help the next generation of students prepare, choose, and finance college. And by college, I mean any and all education after high school or equivalent. And by parent, I mean anyone helping a young human through schooling towards college. The show is predicated with the belief that anyone can access and pay for college if they want to and should start preparing as early as the sixth grade. I am your host, Dr. Justin Alger, but you can call me Justin. That voice you heard over the intro music is the guest of episode eight, Ms. Denise Thomas, chief executive officer and debt-free college coach of Get Ahead of the Class, where she partners with parents to put their kids through college debt-free. Denise is a TEDx speaker a keynote speaker, an author, a podcaster, and has her own mobile app. In this episode, we discuss Denise's five steps you could take right now to help your student not serve a college debt sentence. I hope you enjoy my interview with Denise. Denise... Welcome to the Future College Parent Podcast. Thank you for being here and helping future college parents. I'm so excited to talk to you and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Justin. I really appreciate it. Can you tell us about your story and talk about what led to you becoming your debt-free college coach? Wow. Well, I'll be honest with you. The very first word that comes to me when I am asked about my story and how I got here is desperation. I was freaking desperate. And I know that some parents feel that way when they take a look at what colleges cost. But my desperation came long before that. Like a lot of families, we had not saved anything for college. That was just sort of the American way. You know, you spend every dime you get. And my husband had been in corporate for, oh, probably 15 years. And we had just built our dream home. Yay. It was awesome. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful house on the lake. Three months later, he was laid off. Oh my gosh, we had never been a candidate for layoffs. So this was kind of a big deal. My heart and brain said, we can't keep the house. Let's get it on the market. Just do it. Just do it. And he was able to get another job pretty quickly. Yay. But we see, we were not paying a lot of attention to what was happening in our industry at the time, nor world events for that matter. We were just kind of in our own little bubble. And then he got laid off again. And then the stock market crashed. Justin, we lost at least 75% or more of our net worth overnight. Now, when I said we put the house on the market, we immediately bought another smaller house before that one sold. So that was like crucial mistake number one. I don't recommend that. So here we are with no job, no 401k. We have two mortgages to pay and two kids. The money runs out quickly. Within a few months, I'm looking at the bottom line going, we can't sustain this. We're at the end of the road already. So I told my husband, we have no choice. We have to declare bankruptcy. That was tough because that was never 
on our plate. Now, the good news is we have family. We will never be on the street. So we made sure our children were aware that although things were going to be a little rough, we would never be worried about where we were going to live. We always had family. So, you know, you have to think about that when things like this happen. Because you have kids, and kids are going to think what they want to think, and you don't want them too worried about things that are adult worries. We bought a trailer and a lawnmower and started mowing lawns to put food on the table. I want to say maybe three months into the getting settled into the new apartment, I realized, oh my gosh, my daughter is starting high school. College is literally around the corner. How are we going to pay for this? We have no savings. There's no 401k to borrow against. There's no house to borrow equity from. Oh, yeah, that bankruptcy, that means we have no credit to co-sign for student loans. Kids can only get a very small amount of student loans by themselves. The rest of it requires a co-signer. That co-signer is you. So taking loans completely off the table because we could not co-sign left that pit of desperation in my stomach. I had these flashbacks that that my kids are going to have to go through what I did to get their degree. That's where desperation comes in. But the good news is that with desperation, you start actually putting in the work at that point. Because I knew there had to be a way. There had to be a way for my kids to go to school. That's when I started doing the research. And in my research, I found that, yes, 70% of college students graduate with student loan debt every single year. Doesn't matter which decade, doesn't matter what year, doesn't matter what the economy's doing, that's just the number every year. But I can do the math. That means that 30% are graduating debt-free. What are they doing that the rest of us don't know about? Turns out, it's a lot. There's a lot of things that are different that that 30% are doing. So in the end, Justin, what I ended up doing is creating an application package, creating what I call the high school experience that has colleges wanting that, wanting to pay your child to be there. And in the end, both of my kids attended college on multiple scholarships, debt-free with cash left over. They got paid to go to college. Thank you for sharing that story. When I saw it the first time on the, the TED stage, I couldn't believe how you could share this narrative and keep it together. And it's obvious, I got to imagine that doing what you do, you, you've shared the story multiple times at this point, right? And I can see that you're still choked up now. So, but thank you so much for sharing that story. And so you said, so you have two children and your, your daughter is how old at this point when the bankruptcy is happening? Uh, she was just a little over 12, 13 years old when this was occurring. So she's in the middle school, eighth grade, seventh right. grade, somewhere in there. Right. Just about to start high school. Thank you so much for sharing that narrative. Are you doing okay over there? Oh, yeah. It's something that, you know, I think a lot of people go through hardships in life. And a lot of families out there will look at someone and see the results and not realize what it took to get there. And I think that sharing the story helps other families to understand, hey, if she can do it, by golly, I can get off my butt and do it too. And you can. This is something every family can do. It is possible. I've got families that have 
literally single parents, a single mom who helped her son do this. This is for everyone. It's not just, you know, someone who is low income, middle income, high income. The money is out there, but it's not just about finding the money. It's it's creating who you are as a student, as a teenager, as a high school student, creating that scenario, that that uh, that persona, that colleges are looking for. Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into making this happen. So you have to want it to start with. But the benefits are not just to the student, the benefits are also to the parent. Because right now, a lot of parents out there are co-signing for those student loans. And what they don't realize is that this impacts even the parent's buying power. It impacts their retirement you're going into your retirement years. You're, you're in your 40s usually when your kids get started on college. And I know people who are in their 40s, still paying their own student loans, can't afford to buy a house. But when your children have the opportunity to go to college debt-free, you as the parent, you get to live the way you want to live in your latter years, mind you. And the children themselves, your young adults, get to live a really different life than their peers. But in addition to that, they're able to give back to their community immediately upon graduating from college. Wow. So the benefits then are twofold because I think a lot of times parents want the best for their kids, right? That's why they're, they're focused on let's get our, our student to their dream school because that's what they want. But it sounds to me, or but it seems to me that not only will students have debt, right? But so will the parents have debt. And with students having debt, being saddled with so much debt, they won't be able to enjoy their lives right out of finishing their undergraduate experience. But also parents won't be able to spend that time or won't be able to have the, allocate those resources to do the fun stuff and things that they might like to do after they've worked so hard to do a fantastic job raising their children, their students themselves. Absolutely. It's definitely something that both parents and young adults can benefit from. So I highly advocate going through the effort to do what it takes to have your children graduate without student loan debt. There's so many benefits to both. But here's what I don't understand. Why doesn't everybody do this? What is stopping people from helping their students to be debt-free? I hear that a lot. And Justin, part of the reason is because we have been believing myths or, I don't know, hearsay, whatever you want to call it, that has been perpetuated for decades. For example, I have a family that I work with, and the sister or sister-in-law and brother, very, very well-to-do, very intelligent. If I'm not mistaken, the brother is a doctor. The sister-in-law is literally a rocket scientist. I mean, brilliant people. The cousin is also brilliant. But what they told my client was, well, our daughter didn't win any scholarships, so your daughter probably shouldn't bother. Everyone believes that you have to be a genius to win scholarships. It's 100% false. Half of the scholarships my kids want, $100,000 worth, didn't even ask for GPA or test scores. It was just writing a short essay. But it's easier to say, my kid doesn't test well. Or it's you have to be a genius to win that. Or nobody wins national merit. Or any number of myths that we hear constantly being perpetuated. It's all 
perpetuated. You know, think about it this way. It's misery loves company. That's got to be part of it because it's so not true. So essentially what's stopping people is this preconceived notion that this is the way it works, right? You go to college, you assume debt, parents assume debt, and the world keeps spinning. Yeah. And if you think about it, sure, if you look at the sticker price, it is stupid expensive. But if you go to a car dealership, sticker price is stupid expensive too. Are there people that pay sticker price for the car? Sure there are. But that is a really small number, really small percentage. Same is true when it comes to college. There's a lot of different dealers out there, okay? You got to choose the right one to start with. But in addition, what I've found through experience is that about 75% of students pay close to 50% of sticker price on average. The 25% that are paying full price, either they want to, they don't know they have a choice, or they're coming from other countries and, well, there's just a lot fewer scholarships for that purpose and they expect to pay full price. But for the vast majority, if, if you're doing what you should be doing and applying to the right colleges, yeah, your kid doesn't have to pay sticker price, not at all. We've spent a lot of time talking about the why, but now let's get into the how, right? So could we talk about what is it that parents can do to help their teens achieve what yours did and be in that 30% of students that are graduating with a debt-free college education? And I know on the TED stage, you shared five areas that can help your students not serve a debt sentence. And by the way, I love, I love that saying. Did you make that up? I did. <laughs> I love it. The first step is knowing what you refer to as the money math. Now, is that just financial education and financial literacy? To a degree. And I, I will say that the vast majority of even parents, unfortunately, have not been taught what I call money math. And I don't know why. I'm not sure at what point in time this came, you know, was re taken out of our high school education. Generally speaking, our teens are not being taught about money. But when I talk about money math, I'm talking about personal financial math. Kids need to understand what it means to take on debt. Now, I had a client who had me talk to her daughter. Her daughter was brilliant, had an, a nice scholarship offer from a particular college. Mom could afford the balance. No problem. She'd have no debt. But this young lady wanted to attend what I call the dream school. However, dream school doesn't give scholarships. Let's start there. So we did the math. And I showed her what her entry-level salary would be. Now, this is something that I think would help a lot of parents to help their kids to understand the math is show them what their entry-level salary will be. It's easy to Google it online. Usually Payscale is the website that will have it for you, but just do a quick search and find the Payscale number. You're looking for the entry-level salary. For this child, her entry-level salary for her chosen career was going to start somewhere in the $35,000 per year range. Okay, let's take taxes out of that, federal taxes. We're not even talking state taxes here. Take the federal taxes out. Now let's divide it by 12. Now you and I both know there's a lot more that comes out of that number, that monthly number, than just the federal taxes. In the vast majority of cases, there's going to be state taxes. There's also going to be FICA. There's going to be your health insurance. There's a lot more coming out of that. This is a much bigger number than it really will be, but we're going to start there anyway. For this young lady, she would be bringing home just under $50,000. 
$2,500. Here's the catch. To a teenager, they think they're rich. Now, mom and dad know this is not a good number for the majority of places. It's not going to get you much of anything. I mean, you'd be lucky if you can afford an apartment, depending on where you live, right? So she's thinking she's rich. Now we take a look at dream school and what it's really going to cost. There are easy to find college loan calculators online. Just Google it. Look for a student loan calculator. Put that number in there and give it about 6% because that's about the realistic average. Most kids are going to start with a 10-year note. In a 10-year note, Dream School would have a monthly payment of just under $2,900 per month. Holy cow. She graduates bankrupt. She'd be living on her mama's couch forever, never being able to get out from under that. Even if we take the loan time frame and we move it to 15 years or 20 years, she still can't afford to pay the note and eat, much less afford a place to live. This is the kind of math we need to teach our kids. But if we could get back to the, the college loans and talking about understanding what it takes or understanding what it means to take on debt. And I think another issue that you mentioned on the TED stage was the idea of, of refinancing, right? And if we refinance, well, then to decrease our monthly payment, we're still eventually increasing the amount of interest that we're paying. And as we talked earlier, having debt for a longer time delays life events like retirement, right? And saving and saving for retirement. And, and you talked too in explicit detail about how paying off or having no debt 10 years earlier leads to about $2.8 million extra in income for retirement. So I think your point is very well taken that understanding what it means to take on debt is such a critical skill that and knowledge base that, that students need to learn. Yeah, kids don't get it, and, and but it's probably because parents haven't been taught that. One of the things that I showed my kids when they saw this, when they saw the difference between just a $30,000 loan, not hundreds of thousands, which is what some people are going for for their college, but even just a small $30,000 in student loan debt, paying it off in only 10 years, that is enough to steal $2.8 million at retirement from your kids. That's ridiculous. And if we look at it from the other perspective, we're not explaining to these kids that, okay, so what if 10 years isn't working out for you? Well, why don't we make it a 15-year loan or a 20-year loan? Or we can pause it because, I don't know, you got sick and had to come off of work or, I don't know, whatever. There's all kind, There's so many options because there's a pen. Let's pause it, right? There's so many options, but we're not looking at the money. We're not looking at the future and what that really means. So the second area you refer to is starting early. And you refer to knowing how much your family can afford to pay for college, applying for scholarships as early as possible, doing that work in the classroom, and taking college entrance exams as early as possible until you get that score that gets you the cash. The kids that are graduating debt-free are doing a lot of things early. Number one, mom and dad, you got to have that talk with your kid early. They need to know no later than starting high school how much you will or won't or can or cannot contribute toward their college finances. 
especially if there are other kids coming up behind them. We kind of want to be fair, right? So that's number one. Your kids knowing this going into high school need to know that it's their job to get the grades and the test scores that mean big money. Those kids that are graduating debt-free, most of them took the ACT or the SAT exam as early as the seventh grade. Now, I know parents out there are thinking, and even high school counselors maybe, oh, that's putting too much pressure on a child that young. That's the whole point is that there is no pressure at that age because it doesn't count. You're literally taking it for practice. When my kids were that young and I found this out at that age, I said, look, you're going in to take this test. You will know nothing. You will know nothing on this test. I don't care what the score is. We're throwing it away. It matters not. You are going in there to fill in bubbles and to get used to the exam and the exam environment. And that's it. Another thing that I hear are things like, oh, don't, you can't take the exam more than a couple of times, two or three times, because number one, it doesn't look good to take it multiple times. Only 10% of colleges and universities even ask for all of the exams your child ever took. The majority of those particular schools, they don't give merit-based scholarships anyway. So who cares? I don't know about you. I'm after the money. I want to make sure my kid gets a scholarship. The second reason they say don't bother taking it more than a few times is they say, oh, but your kid won't do much better anyway. This is not an IQ test. Every one of these tests can be beaten. You just need the strategies. Yes, there is some content they have to have. So if your child's GPA is a 2.0 barely and they're scraping the bottom and they you know, can hardly climb out of that hole, they're not going to do really well because they do have to have some content. But strategies alone will get them pretty far, believe it or not. So yeah, there's a lot about starting early and taking those exams often that matters. You talked about a stressful environment. I think if you get that exposure to the environment, your stress levels will decrease and you'll be more comfortable taking the exam because you're more familiar and you have a sense of what to expect from the exam and you know how to beat it, as you suggest. Man, I bet you that costs a a bunch of money to take the test so many times because you you indicated that your your daughter took it 11 the ACT 11 times and your your son took the SAT 12 times but I did the math and depending on if you're taking the writing section of the the ACT at 11 times you're talking anywhere from 700 to 900 dollars or the SAT taken that 12 times that's 660 dollars and it seems to me that if me 600 to yields you thousands and thousands of dollars, it doesn't cost that much anymore. No. And another thing too, Justin, that most parents are not aware of, retaking it is not a shot in the dark if you do this one thing. Three times a year, both ACT and SAT offer the opportunity for an extra 20 or 30 bucks to buy the exam, the key, and your child's answers. Now you've got something to study from. You know exactly what they did wrong. Wow, that's powerful. Starting early, number two. The third area is doing the research. And we talked earlier about uh, comparing investing in college to buying a car or buying a home. It seems like we're more emotional when we're looking at college than we are when when we're buying a car or home. 
And you talked in starting early about knowing what it is that you're able to afford and what you're willing to pay. And you talked too about knowing what college costs and what specific majors can bring. So research, just putting in the work beforehand seems also like a like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, there will be parents that will say, gosh, Denise, my, my kid is so young, I don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what they want to do for the rest of their life. And I get that. Truth is, vast majority of kids going to college, like literally this year, have no idea what they're doing, okay? I will just throw this out there. 80% of college students change their major at least once. 66% change their major at least twice. And again, that's something we're not teaching in high school, but you need to start doing the research early because it's not just researching colleges. It's researching scholarships. Heck, scholarships begin in kindergarten, for crying out loud. And parents are like, wait, kindergarten? Yes, there's a $1,000 scholarship for kindergarten kids. If you open up Google, Google Chrome, and you see the Google name written across the page, and there's all these pretty drawings, or sometimes it's scribbles or whatever, that's a $1,000 scholarship some kid won. Yeah. There are so many opportunities out there. So many. So it's researching scholarships. It's researching colleges and what they can offer your child. One of the things that I find that is really difficult is that we still believe that the name on your diploma matters. And the truth is, for 99.9% of the population, it does not. And that includes your career choice. I've talked to enough recruiters. I've seen enough job applications. I've seen it all. They don't care. There's, there's so many studies out there that show you that prove that the name on your diploma does not matter. And this is for the vast majority of individuals. There are a few that it does matter for, but for the vast majority, it does not. So what you're looking at is, should I spend $300,000 to get a degree in X? Or should I spend $50,000? Or if I can get all the scholarships, nothing, and get the degree in X. It's the same degree. And the employers don't care what college it came from. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's a good transition into the fourth area, doing the work. So wherever you're going to school, I mean, you already have good habits from secondary education, doing that work to get good grades, to get into the college that's going to get you the the degree or the the skill set to be gainfully employed. But doing that work is area number four. Yeah, there's a lot of work that's involved. I've heard parents say, well, I want my kid to get a loan because then they have some skin in the game. Well, if your kid has done the work for the grades and the test scores, they've got skin in the game. That is their skin. It's important for them to learn that work ethic. Their employers will expect that work ethic. They're going to need it when they hit college. Can't tell you the number of valedictorians I have talked with that go to their primary college and they realize oh, crud, I'm not the smartest person in the room anymore. Not even close. And college, in a lot of curriculums, it is going to eat your butt. It's hard. So you might as well learn how to do the work now. There's a lot of things that kids are going to have to learn when they go off to college, especially if they're going off on their own. They're living in the dorms. They don't have that support system. They may need to learn time management. They may need to learn stress management. It's a lot of opportunities there. But you know what? They also might need to actually work. Getting a job and a side gig can be very important, not only for adding to that college kitty, but it can help you with getting 
internships while you're in college. It can teach you leadership and teamwork and communication skills. All of these things are what employers are looking for. And these are things that you're not going to learn in the classroom. Yeah. When people are asking me, well, what else can we do to help our kids put money in that college kitty? I think somewhere in my website or in my course, I have a a list of like 50 out-of-the-box things that parents or kids can do to kind of help put some extra cash in there. Think about what your kid or yourself, what do you do well that somebody might pay to learn? There's so many options out there. And if you enjoy gardening, maybe maybe your kid can weed gardens for some of the elderly people in the neighborhood. They will pay for that and pay well. If they do really well in math, they can tutor younger kids. Think outside the box. What else can your kid do to earn some cash? This is a good segue to area number five, determination that your success really depends on the work that you do. And as parents, it's important to motivate and encourage and all of those positive promotion words to get your student to do the work and to foster the determination for them to be successful, whatever that means for them. And if you think about it, Justin, every kid is going to be different. Every family is different. Family dynamics are different. There's a lot of things that you can do and help with. Um, For example, if your kid is taking a bunch of AP classes and they've got a job in the afternoon and they're doing community service, they may not have as much time to do the research for colleges and scholarships that a parent who maybe doesn't have little kids to look after and maybe doesn't have a job outside of the home. So maybe the parent is doing some of that research instead And then the parent can actually write in all of the demographic information, name, address, phone number for the applications. But the kid still has to write the essay. At that point, you can forward in an email to your child, here's an essay prompt, it's due in three days, or it's due in two weeks, whatever. It's up to your kid. You can encourage, etc. You can please show them the math so they understand that It is really doable to get this money. It really is. But you can only lead a horse to water. You cannot make them drink. This is why I don't work directly with teens. I work directly with parents. Because I am of the it takes a village to raise a child era. And I firmly believe that teenagers with parent support are the ones that win. And that's what I want. I want your teen to win just like mine did. Well, I think at this point, that's all the questions that I have. I really want to thank you for coming on the show. And I truly appreciate you sharing your narrative. It's so powerful. And the work that you do is so important, helping future college parents. And again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Justin. I'm so glad to have had the opportunity. story. Denise and her family went through so many difficult experiences and have come out better for them. I know I shared a lot of the details because I believe that in some part her story will resonate with you. Maybe you've had a similar experience or experiences or maybe you're lucky and haven't had any at all. If someone can be thrown all these curveballs in life and still work to help their children complete college without any debt and even with cash in their pocket, we can all make at least some effort to try ourselves. 
There are a lot of resources we discussed throughout the episode, and Denise has shared her book, Don't Waste the Middle School Years ebook, for free to listeners. You can find the link to the ebook and her full TEDx talk, which we refer to throughout the interview, in the show notes. There is so much Denise and I discussed in this episode, and I want to share five things I learned from my talk with Denise. I'll list them in the order we discussed them in the interview. Number one, know the money math. You and your student can learn what it means to take on debt. A great example would be to determine the entry-level starting salary for the profession your student is thinking of going in and divide by 12 to determine a monthly income to start. Then find a student loan calculator to determine the total loan amount to attend a specific school and how much that translates into monthly debt. Then take the income and subtract the debt to understand how much monthly income would need to be allocated towards student loan debt. Having student loan debt can delay life goals for parents and students, like buying a house or retiring. Number two, start early. For example, have a conversation with your student about how much financial support you will or won't or can or can't afford to provide to help your student pay for college costs. This will convey to your student that it is their job to get the grades to earn scholarships to attend college. Number three, do the research not just for different colleges, but for scholarships. There are so many opportunities out there for your student, you just need to search. Number four, work. Students need to work and learn to get good grades, work to apply for scholarships, and get jobs or side gigs. Students taking on jobs can learn skills they won't get in the classroom and can lead to internships and future employment. Number five, determination. You can help do a lot of the legwork for your student, but at the end of the day, it's up to them to be determined to succeed. What did you learn? Here's your homework. Yep, homework. There's always homework. Please head to futurecollegeparent.com where you can access the Future College Parent Network and post what you learned by listening to this episode and engage with other listeners so we can learn together. Also at futurecollegeparent.com, you can access the show notes for a wealth of information on the items we discussed during the episode and check out all of our social platforms. While you're at it, please share the podcast widely with other parents, leaders of activities your student is involved with, and your school administrators so they can share with your school district. You can also let parents know the show is streaming directly from the website and there's no need to download anything. Just point your browser to futurecollegeparent.com and enjoy. The show is also available on your favorite podcast platforms as well. I want to thank Denise for coming on the show. Be on the lookout for a new episode on Wednesday, June 1st, and continuing Wednesdays every two weeks after. Thanks for listening to the Future College Parent Podcast. Podcast.